Hi, welcome to Everybody Loves, Everybody Loves Raymond, the podcast where we discuss Everybody Loves Raymond, an American situational comedy series created by Philip Rosenthal based on the comedy of Ray Romano that aired on CBS from 1996 to 2005, with a total of 210 episodes. My name is Crystal, and with me today is Luke. Crystal, how did we get to this? How did this happen? Uh, I mentioned something about Everybody Loves Raymond on Twitter. Right. And then you started tweeting at me a bunch of facts about Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> That's true. Then I was like, how do you know so fucking much about Everybody Loves Raymond? <laughs> so you tweeted out that you thought it was funny that uh, the kids are basically non-existent in this show, even though they have children. Yep. And uh, I responded that I remembered a handful of episodes where the kids were a focal point of the plot. Such as the one where Ray's daughter uh, is having bullying troubles on the school bus, so he rides the bus with her to help her confront the bully, but then he learns that actually she's the bully, and he has to contend with how to deal with that. Or the episode where one of his younger boys, who are twins, has to be held back in kindergarten while the other one moves on to the first grade, and over the course of dealing with that, Ray learns that he was also held back in kindergarten. Luke, I've seen a lot of this show. I don't think I could describe five different episodes of it. <laughs> so, I you said you've seen a lot of this show. Would you say you like this show? Um, I, I would say it's, like, slightly above average for a sitcom, like 55th percentile. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think it is a very watchable show. Yeah. Um... The house I grew up in, we had, like, the dining room. There was no wall between the dining room and the living room, and the TV was basically on all the time. And uh, whatever, like, local network affiliate that we had on for Judge Judy in the afternoons also had Everybody Loves Raymond right around dinner time. So there was really no avoiding Everybody Loves Raymond for many years in my house. Eventually it got replaced with The Office, but yeah. I've seen a lot of Everybody Loves Raymond. My situation was similar, but also I do remember actively seeking out reruns of Everybody Loves Raymond on TBS. So I must have enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I think in my house it turned into sort of... Stockholm Syndrome sounds a little too negative, because it's like I said, it's a very watchable show. It's not god-awful by any means, but it just like it's on all the time, and then you just kind of like, well, it's here. I guess I like it, you know? I feel like Stockholm Syndrome is applicable to most sitcoms. Yeah, I, I, I guess, like I said, the reason I backed away from that term is that sounds like, oh, it's a, it's a malicious, hostile thing that you grow to love, and everybody loves Raymond is just a benign, neutral thing. Um, I might disagree with you on that. Yeah? Okay, that's fair. Isn't Patricia Heaton, like, bad? Uh, is she the, uh, actress that plays the wife? Deborah? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, she's... I thought, I thought she was, like, she's a very, hateful person. Uh, she's a very vocal conservative, which, sure, the, mm. those is basically a synonym, so... I, I don't know specifics, but that would not surprise me in the slightest. Okay, well, I, I will refrain from slandering the good name of Patricia Heaton. Yeah, I mean, we can we can do some, some research while we talk here. I'll look her up. Uh, yeah. I... I I mainly know about her politics because she comes up a lot on my dad's list of like, oh, the people in Hollywood that are conservative, but you don't hear about them because they're afraid to speak out on their opinions, not like Matt Damon, that punk. Okay. okay. My dad exclusively refers to Matt Damon as the punk, even though he's in his like 40s. No, Matt Damon has never been a punk at all. No. But that's what my dad calls him. <laughs> uh, while doing some research on this show, I discovered that it has, like, a ton of foreign remakes. Oh, huh. There's a, a Russian version called The Voronins. Okay. There's a Polish version called Everybody Loves Roman. There's an Egyptian version called Closed Doors. There's a, a Dutch version called Everybody is Crazy About Jack. There's an Israeli version called You Can't Choose Your Family. <laughs> There's a British version called The Smiths. There's an Indian version called Sumit Will Handle Everything. Mm. And there's a Czech version called Everybody Loves Rudy. Man, uh, I will say, just skimming her Wikipedia page, it looks like Patricia Heaton is very uh, pro-life. Which I see. And, and in a very soft defense of her, she's consistent in it and that she's also anti-death penalty. So that's 
That's something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she she's anti-abortion, but also anti-death penalty. And I guess she, like, was very vocal during the Terry Schiavo stuff that happened when we were, like... Y- kids oh yeah remember that shit yeah remember that shit when like the entire country got to have an opinion on the like medical condition of a random woman oh my god could you imagine if that happened today with twitter oh my god (laughs) oh i just had a panic attack thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) now uh, uh, what what is your relationship with ray romano as an entertainer (sighs) it does not really extend past this show honestly you didn't like the ice age films no, I didn't see any of them except for The Meltdown years after it came out. And I was very surprised uh, how the end of The Meltdown, like, the twist ending is that, like, Noah's Ark was happening? Yeah, something like that. It's... I remember liking the first movie. Yeah, like, have you seen Ice Age The Meltdown, whichever one that is? Uh, I think I have seen it, but I do not remember it. Okay, it's like all the animals from Ice Age find a human baby, which they've never seen before, and they think, oh, we should get it back to where it belongs. And the thing is, all the ice is melting, and they end up finding, like, the tribe this baby belongs to, and this tribe is building an ark to live through, like, the floods caused by the melting glaciers. (laughs) Wait, I think you're conflating the first two movies with each other. Am I? Because getting the baby back to his tribe is the plot of the first movie. I don't remember an ark. I know the second movie is that the Ice Age is melting. Yeah, I, 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 I just distinctly remember, like, half paying attention to an Ice Age movie while doing something else, and then, like, near the end, just suddenly seeing Noah's Ark, and be like, wait, wait, what? Excuse me? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, one time I watched uh, a stand-up special starring Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. It was, like, the first one he did after the show ended. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his opening joke was, Shut the fuck up, Deborah." <laughs> oh, wow. And I okay. thought that was very funny. <laughs> uh, anyway, when... So, in the process of choosing an episode for this podcast... Yeah. We decided we would do the most representative experience for both of us. Yes. Which is asking a random number generator to pick an episode. <laughs> They, they probably aired them in sequential order on TV when I watched it in reruns, but it really just felt like you're getting a random episode every time you look at it. Because it's also the thing where a lot of times sitcoms would have, like, like syndicated sitcoms would have multiple time slots. Like, they'd have back-to-back episodes, and one would be in season three, and one would be in, like, season nine. Yeah. So, yeah, it just felt like the best way to go about this was just let's literally pick one completely at random and talk about it. I remember as a kid, it took me a while to understand the concept that tv shows could have running plot lines yeah i thought all of them were like sitcoms where the status quo resets well and the weird thing for me was like coming to like getting old enough to realize that some of the sitcoms that i was already watching do have running plot lines like they're very episodic but like there are season-long story arcs in like seinfeld or something you know yeah where it's like, oh, like, Seinfeld's a weird one because, like, you can figure out where you are in the continuity by saying, like, okay, is Susan alive? If so, is she with George? If not, which time? Is this before they got together or one of their breakups? Yeah, there's often a kind of soft continuity yeah, to sitcoms. Yeah. But it's a kind where you can just, like, skip 12 episodes and you'll be fine. 100%, yeah. Like, would you consider The Good Place a sitcom? Uh, yeah, for lack of a better term. But that's very serialized. Mm, no, I think I just call that a comedy. Yeah, I guess so. I, I guess, how are we defining situation comedy? Uh, I think it has to have a relatively stable status quo okay. with a relatively well, then stable the good place set is of definitely characters. definitely not a sitcom, because yeah. that's the one thing it's not is stable. So the episode uh, we chose to watch is season seven, mm-hmm. episode ten. Marie's vision. Yes. Let me pull up the synopsis for this episode. Okay. I will say, when I first saw the episode title, my personal hope was that Marie had some kind of dream about the future and was trying to convince everyone that her second sight was real. And then after a few seconds, I realized, wait a second, that is not the kind of show everybody loves Raven Dis. I No, didn't really ever get into that, did it? No. <laughs> Let's see. Marie's vision... Rated 8.1 out of 10 okay. on imdb.com. All right. Uh, now that Robert is back with Amy, mm. the family turns to another problem, Marie's eyes. 
her eyesight is getting worse, so Deborah asks her to go get glasses. Not only do the glasses help Marie's eyes, but she starts seeing things that no one else can see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's an accurate uh, plot synopsis. Should we, like, give a basic rundown of the premise of this TV show before we get Yeah, to let's talk in? about the premise and some of the characters. Yeah, sure. So, you've got... A fictionalized version of Ray Romano, who is a sports writer instead of a comedian. It's always fun when you have sitcoms about stand-up comedians, because you get to see what job they wish they had instead. Yeah. Uh, And he has a wife and kids, and the main source of conflict is that his parents live across the street, and his mother is very domineering and controlling, and and her and his wife butt heads a lot. And then a sort of a secondary source of tension, his brother has kind of an inferiority complex about him because he feels like his mom favors Ray. Yeah, that about sums it up. There's also kids, but they don't matter. Right, except for those few episodes. (laughs) It's interesting you mentioned that shows about comedians show the jobs they wish they had. Because one of the character traits I remember about the character of Ray Barone is that he just doesn't really give a shit about anything. Mm. Except occasionally when he really cares about his sports writing job. Right. And he always gets, like, mad when other people don't care about it as much as him. Yeah, yeah. Even though he has never reciprocated that behavior with anyone else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But this episode kind of goes to your point that the kids don't matter. Because we see them in the opening shot. They run in through the door... And have some, like, throwaway dialogue and then run off screen. And I don't think we see them again for the rest of the episode. Oh, no, we do not. <laughs> They're ghost children. Like, even when Marie comes out with dessert for everybody in a few minutes, there is no cake for the children. <laughs> uh, but they've all, like, gone out to dinner together. And uh, Frank has some pictures. Are we just getting into the episode? I, I, I guess so. Do you have more you want to cover? Oh, I just wanted to uh, run down the character names for everybody. Oh, that, that's probably a smart idea, yeah. So Ray Barone is the main character, played by Ray Romano. Right. Uh, his wife is Deborah. Mm-hmm. His brother, the, a police officer, uh, oh, Hold on, is... I, I do have to stop you there, Crystal. I think you, you mixed that up a little bit. Her name is Deborah. <laughs> Her name is Deborah. <laughs> and then there, there's this very tall police officer brother, Robert, yes. who lives with their parents, uh, Marie and Frank. And Robert also has a girlfriend in this part of the show. Yeah, does he still Amy. live with his parents in, in this part of the show? I think he might have moved out by this point. Mm, I remember he moved out and then he moved back in. I think he bought the house and then okay. sent them to a retirement home, but then they moved back in. It's one of those things. It's like a comic book where the continuity gets shaken up, but then after like 10 episodes, the status quo gets restored. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good analogy. Comic books and sitcoms have a lot in common. Right, right, because they both have to run forever, so they can never do anything too crazy. No. Uh, okay, yeah. And then you have, yeah, Marie, what, what's their last name? Uh, you mean her maiden name? Well, no, I mean, like, Frank and Marie's. I guess it's just Barone, isn't it? Yeah, it's Barone. <laughs> guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Marie, who is, yeah, Ray and, uh, I've already forgotten his brother's name. Robert. Robert. Their mom. Now, Ray Romano does have a real older brother police officer named Richard mm. and a younger brother named Robert. Huh. All right. And then uh, you have Frank, his dad. And Frank's a real stinker, Crystal. Frank's role is just to sit in a chair and make cracks. Yeah. he's He is just the Statler and Waldorf of the show. I would say he's my favorite character. I mean, I think he's everybody's favorite character. Because he just does nothing but give pithy jokes making fun of everybody else. Yeah, I have to imagine it's kind of like uh, Anthony Hopkins in Thor situation, mm-hmm. where he just can't be bothered to get up and do stuff. He's just gonna sit on the couch and say his lines. Right. Hey, he, he gets a, a pretty meaty acting part later on in this episode. I mean, does he? Oh, I guess you're, you're right. He gets a pretty doughy acting part in this episode. <laughs> Okay, now let's let's go into the episode proper. Yeah. So yeah, everyone's coming home. They've just come back from dinner. Uh, the kids run in front of the camera for a second, but then they go to the rooms right. and they don't come back. And they fade into the never place. 
And uh, they uh, Marie mentions that, you know, it was such a nice dinner. And then Frank mentions, what, it was just dinner with these people. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deborah feels like it's getting late and asks Marie what time it is, and we get this little, you know, centerpiece of the scene, which is her staring at this clock and not being able to read it, and just giving up and, like, giving a joke about how it's time for dessert, and she just goes off into the kitchen. She doesn't really get that close to it. No, she's not, like, up against it, but yeah, she she's clearly having a hard time seeing it. Yeah, so then she goes into the kitchen, and everyone's like, oh, jeez, she's getting really bad, huh? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Deborah asks them, why don't, you know, we talk to her about getting glasses, and everyone laughs her off at the idea that Marie would accept any kind of constructive criticism. Your mom's not so silly that she's going to put vanity before her sight. Right, to which everyone breaks into laughter. (laughs) Uh, They ask Frank to do it, I guess because he's someone that says, yeah, he tells it like it is. But uh, he tells them that the last time he told her to do something for her own good, it blew up in his face. Uh, And they asked, what was that? And he said, I asked her to marry me. (laughs) Frank really hates his wife. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a recurring theme uh, in this show that... It is. Loveless marriages. And and that, that is a focal point of this episode in particular. Mm-hmm. Or this 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 episode really makes that relationship feel like it's toxic. Yeah, no, I don't think it's healthy for anyone. No, like they, uh, we'll get to it, but the ending plays it like, oh, everything's fine actually, and no, everything is aggressively not fine. Yeah, both of the endings are like that kind of. Yeah, a bit, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so they start eating some tiramisu. Yeah, and Deborah, you know, tries to bring up the idea that. Maybe you should, you should get some glasses. Yeah. And, you know, I will say, you know, Frank especially is like, ah, everybody duck for cover. <laughs> Marie takes this pretty much in stride. Like, she bristles at it, but she's not mad about it, you know? Yeah, this is I, a fairly human reaction, I would say. Yeah. like No one likes to admit that they're getting older, their bodily functions aren't working as well. Right. Like she, but she's not, like, overdramatic about right, it. Her reaction is not at all extreme. It is normal and acceptable. Uh, you know, Deborah is like, well, you can get contacts if you don't like how you look in glasses, and Marie doesn't like that idea either. And she just asks that they drop the subject, and they do. So far, this is all good. This, this is carried out the way adults should handle conflicts. And uh, Deborah notices that her fork is dirty, and that gives Marie a moment of, like, oh, God, I've watched that fork myself and i didn't notice that it was dirty Uh uh-oh and uh i think that's basically where the scene ends right well uh deborah goes to wash the fork and there's some line about she's a sexy muscle girl (laughs) Uh, i think that's the that's the opening of the next scene (laughs) oh i see oh yes she's where's she she's carrying in some some stuff yeah so it, it cuts to like the next day and ray is flopped out on the couch while Deborah's carrying, I think there's supposed to be, like, extensions for the table since it's Thanksgiving Day. Uh, oh, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And, and uh, Ray's just being a complete piece of shit and not helping his wife at all. Right, you just have this shot of him sitting on the couch, like, drinking a beer, watching TV, while she is, like, stumbling around with these two heavy planks of wood behind him. <laughs> and uh, she's sarcastic, so like, don't worry, I got it. And he looks to her and, like you said, calls her a sexy muscle girl. I think one of the most well-known episodes of the show is the one with the luggage. Do you remember that one? Uh, remind me. I don't, not a fan. It's where they come back from vacation and they're tired, so they just kind of leave the luggage halfway up the stairs. Uh-huh. And then go to bed. I don't think I've seen this And one. then it just stays there for, like, four weeks. I mean, that's... Because neither of them wants to bring it up. That's very relatable. <laughs> That's the kind of relatable comedy that this show is known for. But, like, Ray is clearly in the wrong in that episode. He's like, I don't want to carry up because I have to work. Oh. And Deborah's like, I do everything around the house, and you are always just lazing on the couch. Also, like, (laughs) that's the pettiest thing to have an argument over. It would take two minutes. Yeah, but 
Mm, Deborah's right, though. No, no, I agree that she's right, but also, I, either of you, just just do it. <laughs> I believe the resolution to that episode was... If they get a new house and just decide to leave the... <laughs> like, the last shot is the house completely stripped bare, <laughs> but the luggage is still on the steps and the camera just slowly <laughs> zooms in on it. That would be an amazing ending. With, like, title cards being overlaid on it about how they got a divorce, and that's actually the se- the series finale. That would be a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Because they should get a divorce. Everyone on this show should get divorced. <laughs> no, remember how it ended? It was like, oh, Deborah finally gives, and I was like, okay, I will be the one to take it up. Uh-huh. And for the record, it will show that I took it up. And Ray's like, no, I'm going to take it up. Oh, I see. And then they start wrestling each other mm-hmm. and then robert walks in and looks like they're having sex ah it's a very funny scene <laughs> <laughs> uh but marie walks in and she's excited she explains that she she broke down and went to the optometrist and she pulls out a very big pair of glasses <laughs> Coke bottle glasses. Well, they're not like super thick. They're just very wide. They're they they sit very large on her face. Yeah, they're like thin Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, yeah, just just the bottom of the bottle. So she starts like pointing out, oh, it's so amazing. It's like it's a whole new world. I can see everything. Right. Then she points out that Ray has some like gray hairs on his temples. <laughs> yeah. And Deborah's eyelashes. Uh, not as full as they used to be. Right. And they they both kind of bristle at her comments, uh, and you can immediately feel, like, a, an uncomfortable tension in the air. Uh, and she walks out, and they both clearly want to be like, oh, God, but they don't want to say anything. Do you think Marie was doing this on purpose? Ooh, that is a good question. Because I, I feel like that is a central question to Everybody Loves Raymond as a work of fiction. <laughs> Because that is that is the eternal question of, is Marie just extremely oblivious to how she comes off, or is she overbearing and manipulative? There are definitely some parts where she is being intentionally overbearing and manipulative. I, yes, there is one episode where, you know, a, a, a big running gag in Everybody Loves Raymond is that Deborah can't cook as well as Marie. And there's an episode where she asks Marie to teach her how to make meatballs the way Marie does. And she thinks they're bonding over it, and it's great. And then they try Deborah's meatballs, and they're awful, and she feels awful. And uh, then she finds out that Marie had switched out the oregano for another spice to sabotage the meatballs so that Deborah would look like an asshole. So, yeah, there are times when Marie is out and out explicitly a monster. I'm trying to think of what spice would just completely ruin Uh, a meatball. I actually remember specifically. She replaced the oregano with tarragon. (laughs) Okay, yeah. That wouldn't be as good as oregano. I don't think I've had tarragon before. Or if I had, or I have and just haven't known it. I don't, like, know what it tastes like. Maybe the Barones just have a very sophisticated palate. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which we'll get into later on this episode. Right. So Marie goes to show them to Robbie. She has like a moment where she pops her head back in and like has a joke about, I'll see you at Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow. <laughs> you know, because she has glasses now. <laughs> Alright, so, right, the next scene is just them upstairs and Ray's uh, put some stuff in his hair. Yes. He'll get, get some of those grays out. Right. He's He's got some, like, drawn-in sideburns with, with, well, probably hair dye, right, Crystal? That's what a normal person would use. That is what a normal person would do. I, and Deborah's wearing uh, heavier eye makeup, I guess. Yeah, it, it's a little heavy, but people treat it like it's crazy. Like, yeah. if I saw someone that, with makeup like that, I'd be like, oh, they've got some pretty heavy eyeshadow on. Eh, whatever. They act like it's insane. Yeah, I would characterize it as heavy, but not egregiously so. Yeah. You know, she's just dressing up for Thanksgiving. Ray mentions that she looks like a hooker, which is a weird thing to say to your wife. <laughs> yeah. That's... I don't think Ray looks bad either. He just puts some shit in his hair. Uh, I, I, I think the part where it's in his hair is fine. The fact that if you look close, he is also 
drawn in extra sideburn under his hair that's a little goofy looking oh i don't think i noticed that because i watched uh 480p oh sure yeah uh yeah it the the like the black goes down below where his hairline ends okay i see what you're talking about yeah that looks it doesn't come off at a glance but if you look at it yeah right right uh so yeah ray and deborah kind of immediately start sniping at each other over how goofy they both look and then Robert and Amy show up, and this is the first appearance of Amy in this episode. Yeah, they, they're kind of having an on-and-off uh, relationship, like Ross and Rachel. Yeah, I think I think they eventually get married, I think. They do get married. Yeah. They do still live with their parent, with his parents. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, her Amy's role in this sitcom is basically just to be, sometimes Deborah needs, like, an ally against Marie. And, but then they team up on her, and she breaks down, and they feel bad. That's usually how it goes. Yeah, Amy is the straight man, I guess. She's the only character who's not kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, kinda. She just tries to be nice and supportive. Right, she's just a basically decent human being. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't been ruined by this horrible family yet. Uh, Robert, his face looks weird because it's been paralyzed by, Yeah, he, he's uh, anti-wrinkle talking like injections. this, and there's gonna be a lot of comedy out of the fact that he can't close his lips. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you, you can tell they think it's really funny, because he'll say something, and then Ray will repeat back what he said, because he, he can't close his lips, so he has to, like, Replace P's with T's and that sort of thing. <laughs> Luke, how much did you notice the laugh track in this episode? Uh, <laughs> a decent bit. <laughs> there, especially there's a few points where they are clearly having to hold <laughs> for the laughter to dissipate before they move on. Yeah, it seems like a lot to me. Yeah. It's probably at least a good third of the runtime is just laugh track. <laughs> That's something I noticed when we got to Ray and Deborah's house is, have you watched any uh, All in the Family? I have not. Okay, I have seen a lot of that show also. And going back to this one after having seen that, it is basically the exact same set. They just replaced the recliners with a couch. Okay. Uh, and now I'm wondering just how many family sitcoms have the exact same set with, like, you're looking in from the wall with the TV on it, there is a staircase going up in the back, the kitchen is to the left, and there's chairs in the middle of the room. Because I feel like it's probably a lot of them. I think According to Jim has basically the same setup. I think, uh, I think King of Queens made the daring move to put the kitchen on the right instead of the left. Oh. <laughs> Have we mentioned that King of Queens is in continuity with this show? Wait, seriously? <laughs> yes, they have crossed over before. What? Which I Which is a bit weird that. because Kevin James has also played a separate character in this show. Okay, hold on. No, no, no. Back up. This is... Run me through this. So the first crossover episode happened on the King of Queens. Okay. In it, Ray Barone and Doug Heffernan become friends. Okay. And later on the same night, Kevin James showed up on Everybody Loves Raymond as oh, Doug Heffernan. Wow. The shows will go on to cr to crossover several more times. Wow. There are two continuity errors in this universe. Kevin James played a different character in earlier seasons of Everybody Loves Raymond than on The King of Queens. The second one, similar to the first, is that Chris Elliott appeared as one character on Everybody Loves Raymond <laughs> and another on The King of Queens. That is uh, ridiculous. You have any love for the King of Queens? Um, I have seen maybe three episodes of it. I don't have a strong opinion of it one way or the other. Yeah, I never watched much of it myself. Yeah, that had uh Frank from Seinfeld though, right? He's funny on Seinfeld. Yeah, it had it had Jerry Stiller. Yeah, but yeah, get back to Marie's vision. Where are we here? Right, right uh, Robert has shown up. His face has been injected with Botox, which they won't just say Botox. Is that like a trademark term? That is a trademark term. Okay. They say anti-wrinkle injections. Oh, yeah, exactly. They, you've had that facial procedure done. Uh, yeah. So he can't, uh, he can't talk. And everyone thinks he's a ridiculous human being for having that. Like, they give him a lot of shit over this to a degree that I don't think is warranted. 
Yeah, that's a recurring theme throughout this episode. Yeah. It's like all of this is fairly normal, like, cosmetic stuff that people do. Like, I I would say, okay, that's maybe a little vain, and the fact that you got one comment about your wrinkles and you ran out and did it is... Speaks to some degree of insecurity, but, like, I don't know, if it makes you feel better about yourself, who cares? It's your life. Maybe don't get it done the day before Thanksgiving so that you can't talk with your family, but whatever. Is this, like, an actual thing with Botox that you can't talk for a few days? Uh, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. Either. Yeah, it... I-, I can imagine that being the case where it's like, hey, your your mouth is... Your face is gonna be kind of stiff for a day or two, but... I don't know. So... They start talking to each other about their various vanities, and they mention that Marie told all of them that something was a little off with them, and that's what caused them to do this. Yeah. Then Amy starts worrying with Marie comments on the the fat on her neck and chin. Right. She's got a little bit of a double chin because she's, you know, an what middle-aged woman, and that's just something that happens to some people. And then Marie and Frank come in. Frank immediately sits on the couch and starts watching football. <laughs> And Amy greets Marie with, like, a hand pressing against her chin to try to keep it flat. Right, right. And she's just like, oh, Marie, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. I probably look a lot older to you now. And Marie's like, oh, no, you look fine. Who cares if, you get, if you're older? That's what happens. Whatever. Now, this, this seems to support the idea that Marie is not being malicious here. Yeah, I would say we, we skimmed over it. I think the one point where maybe she was being malicious... Was when she first shows up, she hugs Deborah and then comments that she can see a cobweb under their TV stand. <laughs> that seems like it was maybe supposed to, like, needle her. Everything else, I think, is just she can see much better for the first time in a while, and she is not thinking about how her comments are coming across. Yeah, she hasn't considered the emotional stranglehold that she has over this family. Because this scene very quickly reaches... (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) This scene quickly reaches, like, a boiling point where she realizes everyone has done things uh, because of her comments, and, like, she tells Robert, like, no, why why did you get Botox? I I like the wrinkles in your face. It gave your face, like, character. And, Ray, I specifically told you that the gray in your hair made you look more sophisticated. Why would you hide it? And why would you put shoe polish in Ray, it? Ray, that's when we also find out that he... The the way he hid it was with shoe polish. <laughs> that's... Why? Just go to the store and get some, some product, my man. <laughs> they sell stuff for that. You didn't have to use shoe polish. <laughs> also, who just has shoe polish laying around their house? Well, people who want shiny shoes. I guess. I guess that's true. I don't own any shoes that I would bother to shine, so maybe that's something I have no place to talk about. (laughs) Deborah tries to, like, wipe the mascara off her eyes before Marie can see her, but she just ends up with just big splotches of makeup all over her face. (laughs) Yeah, that's what happens when you just try to wipe it off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Supposed to use wipes and stuff. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. Ray has a, has a line that's like, you know, I look nice and I feel nice. And that's the most important thing is that I do this so I can feel a little better about myself. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But he says it like, of, like in an insinuating way towards Robert. And Robert has to, through his clenched mouth, be like, I feel great about myself. <laughs> It's a weird, it's all weird. Uh, Marie sort of tells them all, you know, well, geez, guys, I, 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 you shouldn't have done all this, but also I'm, I'm flattered that you think so highly of me that you would do all of this for my sake, which, (laughs) uh, no, that's not the right interpretation. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember what what Frank says that sets her off. Frank says, maybe it's easier to change than to have to listen to you. Right, right. And she looks down at Frank, who, uh, and she tells him, like, that's rich coming from you because you don't do either thing. And uh, he just ignores her and keeps watching football. So she rips the remote out of his hands and turns it off. And at this point, the show takes a severe left-hand turn from sort of, like, soft family humor to, like, 
very serious drama. Yeah, they're, the laugh track goes away, even yeah. when it seems like they're saying things that might be humorous. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, she she says, like, hey, Frank, do you know what I can see about you now? And he goes, yeah, whatever, I'm fat and bald, give me the remote back. She goes, no, 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 I see that, okay, do you remember her line exactly? Uh, she has a longer speech, it's like... Yeah. The total lack of communication, the total disregard for me as a human being. It's been this way for 45 years. God forbid you should pay any attention to me, or show me even the slightest possible way that you have any feelings for me at all. Frank, yeah. now I see that I'm in a loveless marriage. <laughs> and that sets him off. He gets up and just says, repeats a loveless marriage over and over, like getting louder and angrier each time. Uh, she took her glasses off for dramatic effect during that little speech, and he rips them out of her her hand and snaps them in half before storming out of the house. Which, not an okay thing to do. No. Not alright at all. Uh-huh. No, not at all. Uh, uh, and and she, she follows them out, and everyone else is just kind of left standing. Thanksgiving having been thoroughly ruined. Uh, and and, and Frank's just in the kitchen like, eating... <laughs> Plain white bread we, out of the we container. Cut the funniest moment of this entire episode, but it's not played for humor because it's serious time. <laughs> Which is, yeah, Frank is just sitting at their kitchen table with a a bag of jiffy bread, just like grabbing one slice at a time and munching on Big it. Big mood. <laughs> this is like just <laughs> maximum depression eating. It is so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, Marie walks in and says, like, J- you should put, like, some butter or jam on that or something. Don't just eat dry white bread. And he's like, no, I like it dry. And uh, she, like, mentions, like, oh, boy, that really upset you when I said we're in a loveless marriage. And she has this whole speech about how... He is kind of boorish and never, like, says, like, looks at her the way she wants him to or, like, comments on her, does anything for her. Aw, but she knows he loves her. And he doesn't even affirm that. He just (laughs) stares into the middle distance. Yeah, everything about this is completely unearned. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but she, I I guess because he's so offended... That she would accuse him of not loving her. That's the confirmation she needs to know he does. That's a good relationship. Right. So then she immediately sets to work making him a sandwich instead of just letting him eat bread. And then they remember Thanksgiving is happening. We can just go over there and eat real food. But then they realize that Deborah cooked it and they should just eat here and then go over there. (laughs) But it's this whole... I mean... Really, if you break it out of the way it's presented, this is, like, emotionally abusive, Frank. Like, she expressed legitimate feelings of hurt, and Frank uh, exploded with rage at her, and she immediately worked to appease him until things were calm again. That's not okay. Yeah, everything about this is very bad and unhealthy. Like, he's the one that owes her an apology, but she's come running in to apologize to him. Oh, I don't like it at all, Crystal. It's a terrible way to do this. Yeah, the fact that Frank never once just directly does anything to show or even just say that he loves her. Yeah. And like, I think other episodes of this show have done versions of this where he does do that, but not this episode. And it just... Yeah. It, it, it'd be fine if the show was, like, trying to comment on, like, they're deluding themselves or something, but it's super not. We're supposed to just accept this at face value. It would be incredible if the series arc of the show was just these marriages actually falling apart. That would actually be amazing. If it started off as just a stock standard family sitcom that got gradually more and more, like, tense and upsetting as their marriages collapsed... That'd be, like, the greatest television show ever made. That would be you know, something. Uh, you, you mentioned you haven't seen All in the Family. You probably don't know how that show ends. How does that show end? So the last episode of All in the Family is uh, Edith, who is Archie Bunker's wife. Uh, the, the the kid characters have all sort of moved away. Um, but she is uh, cooking for some event at, like, his lodge or something along those lines. 
and she's getting really fatigued, and she goes to the doctor and finds out she has... I forget exactly what the medical condition is, but he tells her that she needs bed rest, and that uh, if she keeps overworking herself, it could do serious damage to her. And uh, she tries to explain that to Archie, but he just, like, insists... like He doesn't let her explain that, and just gets mad that she's not done with all the stuff she's supposed to do for him. And she ends up, like, passing out on the stairs, and he learns, like, about this medical condition, and is, like, he feels awful, and he feels worse that, like, she felt like she couldn't just tell him no. And, like, the last, I think the last scene of the show is, like, her, him, like, cradling her in bed, and, like, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. And then they do a spinoff show called, like, Archie's Place, that is a year or two later, and she's dead. And he just runs a bar now. Right? What the hell? <laughs> it's insane. Why? <laughs> I don't know. All the Family is a weird show. It's very political in a way that you wouldn't expect a sitcom to be. Because, like, the, the structure of that show is that, you know, Archie is, like, this awful, bigoted monster. And his daughter's husband is a very left-leaning college student who wants to be, like, a uh, political science professor. And they get into fights about, like, social issues that were very relevant during the 60s. Huh. And it's it's a weird... It, it's, like, it's actually pretty good. And it's it's a lot of stuff where you wouldn't expect, like, oh, wow, they're, they're talking about this on a TV show in the 60s, huh? I don't it's, know. It's that not, show yeah. always seemed to me like, let's do ironic racism. There, I think there's an element of that to it, and uh, I, I definitely think there's probably that that would be off-putting for a lot of people. Uh, the the final like punch of pretty much every episode is that Archie is wrong, and usually it involves him like being confronted with like real life examples of things that were just hypotheticals to him, and he has to like give up on some bigoted viewpoint he had. But yeah. Y- there is a lot of screen time given over to him being a bigot that it can absolutely be very off-putting. Let's talk about the post-credits scene. Or, I guess, right. the, not post-credits, but the stinger. Yes. Which <laughs> is an interesting corollary, cor, corollary to yeah. the previous bad marriage scene. Yes. So, uh, Ray and Deborah are in bed, and she's like... She's not wearing the makeup anymore, and she's like, so you really think my eyes look okay this way, without all the makeup and stuff on them? And Ray mm. says, yeah, I've always thought that your eyes are beautiful. Aww. And Deborah says, answer that question again, and bear in mind that I'm way too tired to have sex tonight. <laughs> and Ray's still like, that doesn't have anything to do with it, I still love your eyes. Aww. She says, no, I mean it, Ray, it's really not gonna happen. And Ray's still yeah. like, what do you want me to say? Like, your eyes were the first thing I noticed when I met you. Why would I want anything different? Aww. And then Deborah says, are you still trying to have sex with me? And Ray says, I am. Right. And then she rolls over and goes to and sleep. And then Ray still says, you know what? I wish I could say I don't like your eyes. But sex or no sex, your eyes are beautiful. So sweet dreams. Aww. And Deborah says, still trying? And, and he says, yes. And then after a beat, he goes, come on. (laughs) And then it cuts to credits. Why can't they just let him have this moment? Right. Like, that'd be a sweet way to end it. But they just can't. They have to, like, in making this a joke, they make this a way, like, less uh, strong relationship. No, their relationship is bad. Yeah, like, that makes it like, ugh, ugh. Like, he can't just compliment his wife because he's a good, like, husband to her. He's gotta have an ulterior motive. Well, he's a man, Luke, and the man always just wants sex. And women don't like sex, so it's their job to uh, engage in some sort of transaction to offer sex in exchange for doing chores around the house. Right, exactly, exactly. That's how uh, heterosexual marriage is supposed to work. Yeah. It It is really wild how much... The, like, meme of marriage being a torturous hell is for, like, heterosexual couples. Right? Like, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's, o- like, it's okay to just 
have a, a good relationship, and if you're not happy, you can end it. Yeah, like, every sitcom is about how actually married people hate each other. It's like, well, what? Huh. doesn't have to, you don't have to be that way. You yeah. can love your wife. My wife. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, in fairness, you know, there's like a 50% divorce rate and all that stuff, so maybe that's just accurate to a lot of people's experience. But, but also, like, it's weird. like, the thing about that statistic is that's kind of a good thing, in a way. Oh, sure, yeah, I'm not, but, but I'm saying, like, the idea that, you know, uh, marriages are not necessarily always super strong they fall apart a lot but on sitcoms they can't fall apart right. because then you'd have to write one of the characters out of the show I mean, not necessarily that'd be an interesting thing if they got I, divorced you know but they You're were right. still on the show oh man is there a sitcom about two divorced people raising their kids together i, I there must be at least one mm, right i can't think of one i'm let's see sitcoms about divorce uh best sitcom divorced couples from thoughtco.com okay lay it on me Let's see, we've got uh, Sybil and Ira, Sybil and Jeff in the show Sybil. Never heard okay. of it. Grace and Jimmy in Grace Under Fire. I think I've heard of that show. Uh, even though Grace Under Fire started with main character Grace Kelly leaving her alcoholic husband in order to start a new life. Over the course of the show, five seasons, Grace and Jimmy achieve a sort of peace as Jimmy struggles to get sober and turn his life around. Eventually, they even become friends and are able to work together to raise their three kids. That's the show we just described. Okay, sure. Okay, yeah. Good job, Grace Under Fire. Sure. <laughs> Sounds interesting. I'll watch that. Yeah, that's that's a premise. There's an a HBO show called Divorce starring Sarah Jessica Parker that's just mm. about a long, drawn-out divorce. Okay. Uh, let's see, there, oh, the Reba McIntyre sitcom looks like it, it's on this list, at least. Okay. I don't know when that divorce happens, but, yeah. Uh, The New Adventures of Old Christine is on here. Okay, alright, alright, it's been covered. They've yeah. done it. So what do you think about this episode overall, Luke? Um, I thought it was fine until the weird turn to dramatic. Right? I guess that's not yeah. really that unusual for this show. Yeah, it's not. I, I feel like it does go for that a lot of the time because it's so much about this dysfunctional family. It, in some ways, it would feel disingenuous if it didn't have these moments where they like hit breaking points with one another. But I don't know. It's just this very the presentation is just very like light and fluffy, and all the scene transitions are just this jazz piano. Just and it's like I, I just want to have just a a low engagement amount of fun with this. Just kind of chuckle at one or two lines and move on with my life and turning it into this severe uh, depiction of a clearly abusive relationship that the writers aren't equipped or able to actually address kind of undercuts the fun I was having. Uh, I said before we started recording that this is a fairly representative episode of the show. There yeah. are kind of a lot of moments on the show where it's, it's uncomfortable because it's just a bad relationship and the family dynamics are bad and they keep playing it for comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I, I would almost rather they just play it for comedy than play it for drama because then when you have to transition back from drama to comedy, it feels hollow. Right. Like it, as long as you are will, like I am willing to suspend my disbelief that this is at all an okay life situation. If the show doesn't try to reflect on itself at all. As soon as it does, you break the illusion, and I can't pretend like this isn't fucked up on every yeah, level. Yeah, I'd give it a, 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 a nice C. Yeah, I think that's C. fair. C, we have some questions on Twitter. L let me ask you this before we get to those. Did any, like, what were, like, laugh lines for you, if any? Um, laugh like, did this lines. Did this episode make you laugh? No. I will admit that it got me once. I I, I kind of chuckled a little bit at the bread. Yeah, I, I chuckled at the bread, but I was uncomfortable about it. Like, mentally, I was like, this is funny, but the show doesn't think it's funny, so I feel weird about laughing. I will admit that uh, at the start, when they are talking about her vision, and she tries to get Frank's opinion on if she should get glasses... And he doesn't answer and doesn't move and reveals that he was basically treating her like a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. That got a chortle out yeah, of me. Yeah, that was okay. I was yeah. hoping you couldn't see me. And I thought that later on, when he ignores her, that it was going to be a callback to that scene. And instead, it was very different. Yeah, it was very different. 
But yeah, we, we've got questions. We do have questions. First question comes in from Jasmine. Why did someone in that show accidentally make a labia sculpture as one episode's plot? <laughs> Fuck, that did happen, didn't it? That did it? happen. I remember that I think that Marie episode. did that, right? Yeah, Marie did that. Yeah, she was in some kind of sculpting class as just like a way to expand her horizons, and she just made an abstract sculpture that was just a giant vagina. Yeah, they aired that on TV, didn't they? <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> That was a good episode. I like that one. <laughs> I don't remember it clearly other than the premise. <laughs> I remember everybody like trying to show it to her and eventually she could see it and then she said, oh my god, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> right? Yes! That's right! <laughs> oh boy. What a weird show. Pull up that sculpture. Because I remember I kind of couldn't see it because I think I was too young. Sure, yeah, yeah. And obviously it's not literally like an anatomically correct vagina. They couldn't okay. go that far. Okay, this is not as much of a vagina as I remember. Let yeah. me show you an image here. That is almost, just kind of yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I mean, you, you could air that on TV, that's fine. Yeah, but also it's clear what it's supposed to be. I see how not, Marie you know. could make that mistake. Okay. Sure. Next question comes in from Frankie. Why is he so mean to his brother? And is it because he is a cop? Also, does this make Raymond not a cop? He seems like a cop to me. That's a, hmm. Well, so the reason that uh, Robert is mean to his brother is because when his brother was born, uh, his parents gave all the attention to him. And right. He kind of resented that. I know in at least one version of the opening this show had, the title of the show was said by Robert sarcastically. He was like, Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, Robert's a really put-upon guy, even though he's not actually yeah. that put-upon. Yeah, well, and I, I think there's times when Ray kind of bullies him a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it, Robert is a cop, though, and all cops are bad. Remember that time he got shot in the ass? Yeah, and then didn't he quit the police force because he didn't want to get shot again and he became a security like system salesman? I think so, but then he became a cop again. Right, yes. Uh I don't know, is Raymond the cop? He's a sports writer, but his brother's a cop, so... He... Mm, I could see the character of Ray Barone posting hashtag Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Ray Barone probably would not write fondly of Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> I would just want to write fanfiction about how Ray Barone <laughs> would react to modern sports news. Just, you just want to write the new season of Everybody Loves Raymond. Did they ever, like, focus in on his sports writing career relative uh, to what was going on at that time? I I don't think they ever make it relevant. I I remember one or two episodes, like, I remember a flashback episode where the first article he printed, he talked about how he loves sports and he loves that he gets to share it with people, and the whole thing was that the last line of it was a marriage proposal to Deborah. But then no one would just let her read the fucking article. They, like, his dad barged in and read the whole thing out loud instead of letting him have a private moment to use huh? his newspaper job to propose to his wife. <laughs> uh, you think if they rebooted Everybody Loves Raymond, it would be like Roseanne? That's exactly what I was just thinking about. <laughs> Raymond would just... be so excited for the XFL. Oh, well, I think the original XFL would have been around at this time, yeah, right? Yeah, but nobody cared about that. <laughs> That's true. Does anyone care about the new one? I mean, one? I think it'll probably do okay. Oh, I'll be surprised if it ever actually even happens. Vince McMahon has a lot of money. He does. I don't know. It just seems like a ill-conceived idea. Also, he's friends with the president. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. This next <sighs> question comes in from Rosalind. It's okay. similar to another question from Kane. Why does everyone love him? I don't know if everyone actually does. Like, I think there's supposed to be some degree of irony in that title. Yeah. Because mm, it's kind of a shit. I think the first season of the show probably focused in a little more on, like, Ray and Robert's rivalry, I guess. And yeah. then it transitioned more into Marie being ridiculous all the time. Yeah, I feel like the early idea of the show yeah i guess there was more robert but like the core of the show i feel like was always ray is the hapless bystander to his the rest of his family having a civil war and then eventually they start dragging him into it more and be like well he's kind of a shithead too because he's just a bystander to this and doesn't 
try to fix anything. Yeah, I I wouldn't characterize Ray as hapless. No, no, no. But like it, it's a lot of like him just kind of like ah, oh, jeez, while Deborah and Marie yell at each right, other. Right. He's a he's a centrist. He just wants her to be. Yes. Peace. Exactly. He doesn't want to have to choose sides between his mother and his wife. Well, then he doesn't want to help his wife carry heavy stuff. Right. Or do anything. Well, she's a sexy muscle girl. <laughs> what a weird line. <laughs> uh, next question comes in from Emily. Yeah. Who's your favorite okay. character? It's got to be Frank. It's got to be Frank. Everyone loves Statler and Waldorf. I love... I, I highly related to him eating... <laughs> Plain white bread slices getting, out of the bag. Getting so mad, he just had to eat a whole loaf of bread. <laughs> and refusing to put anything on it. Yeah. Uh, Trippy Jing asks, remember when they went to Italy and young Frankenstein cried? I've... Not really. Yeah, I don't remember the Italy episode. I, I, I sort of kind of remember them going to Italy. I don't remember the young Frankenstein connection at all. Well, uh, Peter Boyle, who plays Frank, also played Frankenstein's monster in Young Frankenstein. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Maxi asks, remember the one episode where someone imitated him by going like, yeah, my brother's tall. Not really. I don't remember that episode either. No, yeah. You remember a lot more than I do. You have retained more information. Yeah, I think this, this doing this bonus episode has made me realize I don't remember as much as I thought I did, even though it's more than the average person. And our final question Comes in from AJ. Where does it fit in in the Legend of Zelda timeline? Oh, shit. Now, I do I have mean, an answer to this, but I want to hear yours first. Okay, well, so I, I will admit I'm not uh, caught up on the Book of Medora. Mm. Crystal, I'll admit I listened to the first episode and was like, oh, I can't take this. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. You had to find out this way. It's okay. Uh, but, uh... So, I mean, where have you guys fallen? I guess we, we do have it as established canon that at least one Link was a practicing Christian, That's right? correct, yes. Which does imply that Hyrule is on the planet Earth. Or, I guess you could also argue that Jesus Christ has visited multiple planes of reality. He is God. He could do that. But, I mean, wh where have you fallen on that, that issue? So, in my opinion, the video game Darksiders occurs in between <laughs> Zelda II The Adventure of Link... Okay. And The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So are you su are you suggesting that after Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link, like normal society get like as we know it on in the real world gets built up? Well, so here's Dark the thing. Okay. We've established that that Link is a practicing Christian. Okay, right, yes. And at the end of Zelda 2, it is strongly implied that he becomes the king of Hyrule. It does seem like he marries the ancient princess Zelda, yeah. sure. So they, they kiss, and that means they're married in old video games. He words. becomes kind of like Emperor Constantine. Okay, Where sure. he Christianizes the kingdom of Hyrule. Okay, okay. Do you think that... Now, again, I might be retreading some old content. Do you think that that Link was like a crusader who got lost on the way to the Middle East and ended up in Hyrule? Because uh, he's just like a wandering traveler that Impa runs into, Yeah, right? it seems like he's maybe not indigenous to Hyrule. Like, maybe he's... Because he's very young in Zelda 1. Is he part of the Children's Crusade? Yeah, he's part of the Children's Crusade. Yeah. <laughs> he's heading to Jerusalem. Right. <laughs> to murder Muslims. Uh -huh. and take And take over the Holy Land. Because, like, it's also part of the backstory of that game. There's a prophecy written by the old king that a new king will come, and he will bear the mark of the Triforce on his hands. And I he see. will restore the glory of old Hyrule. So Link conquers the world and makes it the earth we know and love, where Ray Barone works as a sports writer. <laughs> so it, so Everybody Loves Raymond in its totality takes place sometime, probably hundreds of years after Zelda 2 and before Darksiders yes, 1. Yes, correct. Okay, great. Dark Souls is also canon, but that's on a different timeline. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. Link, where can we... There's Cleveland. <laughs> Yeah, you sure did. Okay, Luke, where can we find you online? Ah, that's all because I'm Link. Because that was the that's what he that's the sounds he. That makes. is what Link says. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at SSJ Speed Racer. Uh, I do a bunch of shows on Audio Entropy, like Totally Reprised, Teenagers with Attitude. Let me tell you about Homestuck, The Home for Infinite Losers. I think those are the major ones. Yeah, you can find me online at Arcane Crystal on Twitter. 
You can find me on the main Book of Medora podcast, where we talk about the lore of the Legend of Zelda series. You can find both me and Luke on Let's Plays, where we objectively and scientifically That's right, you're on that show too. Yeah, every (laughs) show according to every video game according to quality. And sometimes Marvel Heroes. Sometimes, one time Marvel Heroes. We should rank more Marvel Heroes. I mean, Infinity War is coming out, we probably can stand to, you know... Certainly later this year when that Spider-Man game comes out, we need to at least rank Spider-Man. Gotta rank Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Wait, is there a character named Spider-Man 2? Uh, no, but there's a video game named Spider-Man 2. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. No, I was saying we need to rank Spider-Man on the list of Marvel heroes. Okay, sure. Luke, <laughs> yeah. what do we say at the end of this show? Oh. Uh, uh, you know, we say, uh... Deborah! Everybody loves Raymond's. <laughs> <laughs>